somehow I just never made it to the big time. Why not? Because I got knocked out 40 times in a row. That plus politics. You know, it's all politics. What's good, everybody? Welcome to the Forbidden Technique podcast on the Fight Side Podcast Network. Myself, your host, Silas Martin. My co-host, as always, Christian Reynolds. And today, we've got a whole bunch of fights to talk about and a whole bunch of fights that we're probably not even going to get time for because uh, we weren't able to get a recap episode in and Cheeto Vera just for and Charles Oliveira is fighting this weekend. So you know we're going to talk about those things for like nine hours. And then there's just a pretty stacked and interesting pay-per-view uh, underneath that Charles Oliveira-Justin Gaethje fight. Uh, albeit weirdly stacked with uh, some just depressing old man fights. But, but uh, some cool stuff as well. Uh, and, and of course, a weirdly fascinating title rematch between Rose Namajunez and uh, Carla Esparza. So let's just get right into uh, doing our victory laps for last week. Uh, we both picked Cheeto Vera to beat Rob Font fairly confidently. Well, it kind of matched up with a lot of the things that we called out. It was a very different kind of uh, shape of fight to how I was expecting Cheeto Vera to get the job done. Uh, Rob Font came out with some really good ideas, was doing a good job of uh, working Cheeto's guard with uh, you know, all of the different uh, offensive tools that he can flow off of his jab. Uh, he was like denying the extended clinch exchanges against Chio and, you know, doing well about uh, just breaking collar ties with uh, short elbows and uppercuts. Um, but I think the thing about this fight is that a lot of people were framing it as a kind of uh, technician versus wild man matchup. And just like kind of another way you can frame that is a kind of rote guy versus uh, just really organic fighter. And we saw that, you know, Rob Font, he came in with the good ideas, but he kind of didn't know how to build on them when the fight went deeper and when the shit started to stop working and when he was getting figured out. It was weird to me how much this looked like the, uh, like Rob Font's fight with Jose Aldo. Whereas I, I was thinking it was going to be more like a much more prolonged version of Cheeto Vera's fight with someone like Andre Yule, where he gets annoyed by a long straight puncher from range for a bit and then like just has to go forward and go ape shit and kills the guy. Um, but it was, it, was, it was really interesting to me how much this was like a actually just very close striking match that was decided from a few key exchanges where Cheeto Vera was able to land hard power and visibly hurt Rob Font. Kind of just not what I was expecting. And it seemed like, I'm not sure if, this was Cheeto Vera fighting against type in a way that just made sense for this matchup, or if this is just kind of the guy that he's always been trying to be. Like, uh, Ed Gallo always had a theory that he wanted to be a slick out fighter, and then he would start losing and get mad and just go kill the guy. And I think that, that kind of really tracks having seen this performance. And I'm not sure if that may, might make me slightly concerned for the stylistic development of Cheeto Vera. I think it showed good things for like how Cheeto is going to progress the division. I, I think it's a very particular matchup in that this is kind of the only guy he can beat over five that he doesn't finish, I think. Because uh, I think he goes to five rounds with everyone. I don't think anyone finishes him. Uh, or, or like anyone that beats him, I think it's by decision. I don't think someone's going to finish him. But a guy like Yan or Corey could beat him over five. Uh, but they're not like going to get finished if they lose. Like There's no way they're going to lose a fight, I don't think. Uh by finish, so like they're just equally durable, and Cheeto's not the type of hitter that's going to spark one of those two types. Uh, it, whereas Font, he can actually just beat him four or five rounds and win like a clear decision that doesn't involve him nearly killing him, which it did involve him nearly killing him, but he just had to hurt him pretty badly and then go on and, and kind of coast in the fifth, so he started dancing around. And that was the thing. It was interesting to see how Cheeto fights when he actually feels comfortable that he's up. Yeah, which is always important to see in a fighter, but I don't know if it that's like instructive to how he's going to go through his next several fights. I'm still pretty confident that Corey Sanhagen 
would beat the absolute shit out of him for the first two rounds. And then Cheeto would be like, okay, this is bullshit. And then he would start going harder and then it'd be an insane last several rounds. And I think that it kind of goes like that for everyone in the division. And I think Font's the only guy that he can pull through early enough to be ahead against. So even, and this was a great performance. We got to see like a lot of cool tactical shit from him. Like every one of the knockdowns he got and he, uh, the thing he hurt fought with in the fifth round, a, like a hook kick or sidekick, uh, it was like, it was all really crafty and smart. And we've seen stuff from him before that like shows that he can do that, but we haven't seen him actually be able to, you know, look like a fucking slickster. He it looked like Israel Adesanya. Like he was fucking sick as hell. He, he was like finding creative moments, uh, and, and like stifling his opponent's jab, uh, with his own jab. He, his defense looked pretty tight. Like it, it wasn't, or not tight as in like good, but tight as in like tight, bro. <laughs> uh, like it, he, he was, he was just like grabbing the wrists a lot. He was putting his arms out. He was catching a good deal of the body work on the elbows. He did eat a ton of clean body shots from font font was doing really good with the body work from early on. But, you know, Cheeto was was kicking the left, he was banging the left head kick a lot, just hitting the arms really nice, uh, alternating low-high. He was just doing, like, his, his normal shit, but it was all working because Font isn't an explosive enough athlete to actually put him on his heels whenever he tries to just be like, oh, I'll do a, a two-strike combination that works together. Normally, he'll just get stifled in the middle of that until the third round where he just starts being like, okay, I'll elbow the guy. Yeah, like I say, I mean, we got to see a lot of the things that make Rob Font a really effective fighter. Um, but it's just the fact that, like I said, he, he really seems to struggle to come up with ideas in a fight. And uh, in the last two Rob Font fights, it, he's also just shown, I, th- I think just increased like just mental toughness and, and stick-to-itiveness. Um, like in bo- both of these fights, every time he gets dropped i'm just like oh well he's he's broken now he won't be able to come back and and in every single one of these he goes back to his corner and they talk him around and he just gets back to work but like i say he's just doing the same stuff that he'd kind of already been figured out and fucked up for and it it it, it just keeps and, and you just get that same pattern in every round and and, and like i say cheeto vera like people seem to question his process about you know what he does to proactively win rounds in fights and i guess you can but like he's just to bring out another tony ferguson comparison he just kind of try, figures out how to win fights it's it's a kind of weird intangible thing but if you give him any kind of wedge he's he's just going to drive it really hard and if you start to capitulate against him like he's just always going to take over. It's amazing to have seen him get to this spot in the division. Like, uh, yeah, the guys you talked about earlier, uh, Corey Sandhagen, uh, Piotr Yan, and I mean, Aljamain Sterling were really rough, rough matchups for him. But a lot of people thought he'd never be top ten with the kind of stuff. I mean, when he came into the UFC, he kind of just sucked. <laughs> yeah, we've seen Font run into like multiple walls throughout his career. Like all of his losses seem to just be unwinnable for him even if it's uh, uh like a kind of competitive fight it just seems like there was always he was just always gonna lose like a sun Sao was a just a depth of skill wall there like there was no way he's he's gonna be able to become a fighter that can actually just hang with him he, he has to force his specific tool set to try and figure out how to, a way to leverage a win from like a, a pre-fight standpoint but he, he just doesn't have the technical depth to do that to a sun Sao. and then for aldo it was kind of the same thing but also aldo's twice as fast so he, he wasn't able to do that because like that wall is just always going to be there. This time it was a guy that's just durable and going to mitigate your offense. And the fact that Font isn't the type of guy that's going to be you know spinning your head around with single shots. He, he normally just lands a bunch of attrition, where his, his jab kind of hits you a bunch, but it doesn't hit the same spot. So you can see, you know, Cheeto took almost no facial damage, and it's not like he's like uncuttable. Like he's he's been cut and like scraped up in fights before. But Font did basically nothing to his face over five rounds because because Cheeto was just being really nice and, and defensively sound. Yeah, on that note, I do think um, we, we have seen some uh, really good developments in Cheeto Vera's defense. Like, he's still, he, he's not unhittable and he's not that defensively subtle and he still leans on his chin, which 
I mean, he can. He might be like the most durable fighter I've ever seen in MMA. He kind of genuinely seems to have, just have a, an invisible force field around him sometimes. He, he doesn't even get tired when you hit him in the body. Crazy. Um, but yeah, just being like a kind of slow guy with a great chin, you know, he's not leaning in to try and do, trying to do like really slick slips and stuff like this. Just, yeah, like you're saying, doing a, doing mitigation to take the, the steam off of shots, doing annoying hand traps and parries and stuff like this that's just going to, you know, extend the career of an insane action fighter for whom taking a shitload of damage is almost always part of the plan en route to getting a win. Yeah, I, I think Chido Vera is very hittable, but he's like annoying as hell to hit. Like, it's, it, it, you're going to hit him clean every once in a while, like if you keep at it, but he's, pretty hard to hit perfectly clean at this point now like font is is pretty good at working around someone's defense and he was having troubles getting through cheeto's defense just because cheeto's defense looked really adaptable like he he, the just his elbows like catching body shots as the fight went on got better even though font was still getting in good body work Mm -hmm. and just uh another issue i think for font in this matchup i think you may have touched on just uh, someone being at reach and height parity with him and just being willing to jab with him, even though Chito Vera doesn't have a as as mechanically nice or versatile a jab as Rob Font, just like whenever Rob Font was really like, leaning into just jab-heavy volume, Chito would just be like, oh, okay, I'll, 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 just, I'll just jab back. And, and it really seemed to make Rob Font quite uncomfortable. Because, I mean, just against most of the people he's fought about and where he's really just been able to be insulated by his jab. Cheeto was like winning the low kick and body kick battle, really just the entire kicking battle. Like even towards the end, he started like doing side kicks and hook kicks. Cheeto just, as the fight went on, it became more and more free for him to just do whatever he wanted to on the feet because Font wasn't able to pressure by the end point. Uh, he wasn't able to get any of the cool clinch tie ups just because he was so much more damaged than Font was or than uh, Vera was. Like if he entered the clinch, he w- he was just so like torn down that the earlier clinch exchanges that he was having success with and Sriam touched that on that in the uh the preview pod is that like if if they were having clinch exchanges if Vera went long in them he would start winning but if Font just kept to multiple clinch exchanges that are very early and he just gets his damage off and then leaves then he could have a lot of success and he did but as the fight went on he started having less and less success with that just because he was getting his ass beaten but was still doing well at like denying clinch entries and yeah. Yeah, and another thing that makes me wonder if Chio's performance in this fight was was maybe him just fighting against type a little to in ways that surprisingly make sense for the matchup. Because Rob Font, you know, he he knew that he couldn't win this fight off of the back foot, and you know, he invested really hard in just uh, putting out putting out a steady barrage of volume that allowed him to be able to stand his ground. Um, so so, it actually wasn't that easy to just swarm him up against the cage. You know, he was doing well in those clinch exchanges, even just like denying them once he wasn't like actively winning them as much. And he's like, surprisingly hard to get stuff done on top against, even though he's not you know, a great defensive wrestler. Um, he's like decent about getting to his feet. And like I say, not actually that easy to damage or submit from top position. Which you know, Chio being a good grappler, but not really much of a wrestler. I, I, I think in a lot of ways, it just made sense for him to steal rounds with singular damaging counters that he was uh, just yeah able to make reads on as the fight went deep. Because as I say, Rob Font, like you, you, you see, you really see the <clears throat> uh, benefits and drawbacks of just being a kind of rogue guy, uh, where your whole like shot selection is kind of just this uh just this flow chart of just like okay you do the jab and then one two and then jab wide right to the body and then jab right uppercut and then you do the left hook and if they start slipping the lead hand then you grab collar ties and you do the short uppercuts and elbows and you kind of just do that you just rinse and repeat do that then throw in a takedown occasionally you kick the guy back if you're getting kicked that works really well for Rob Font and he wins a lot of like very good matchups at Bantamweight doing that. But there's a certain level at which just like craftier fighters who can go deep are going to just figure out the patterns. And if you can't, 
if you can't adjust, you're, you're just going to start losing rounds like this. Yeah, and over five font definitely has the cardio to go five rounds, but he doesn't have the cardio to sustain the type of output he would need in certain fights to actually win five rounds. Oh, he still threw like, like 500 strikes in this fight. Yeah, he threw a ton of strikes. Um, also, the strike stats were a little fucky. Like the, the, this fight was a good example of like a uh, land. Not all lands are equal. You know, Cheeto was at like 58% accuracy at one point to like 40 something percent for uh, font. And just to be a bit of a stat story, it's like, it, 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 it did not matter. You know, like font was getting a lot of volume off, but it was kind of partial lands. And then every third strike or so was a really clean shot. Whereas Cheeto, it was just, you know, a stifling jab it was really stiff or a hard left hook right behind the ear. Or oh, body like kick. baiting his opponent and ducking into a knee. Yeah. Yeah. Like like shots that mean more. So anyone that was like trying to give Font credit for, oh, look at how good he did on stats. He didn't do that great on stats. So yeah, uh, absolutely fantastic win for Cheeto Vera. Uh, great to see all the hard work paying off for him. He was obviously very emotional in his post fight interview. <clears throat> and uh, Rob Font just like maybe needs to fight down a little bit. Like he is a very well put together fighter, but he got Cody Garbrandt and Marlon Marias back to back at a really good time that kind of put him into a, a spot in the division that I think he's just not really uh, equipped to compete in. So I don't know. I'm, maybe a rematch with Pedro Munoz or like, I don't know, Song Yidong if he wants to fight someone new. And then Andre Olaski decision, Jake Collier. Yeah, real quick hits from the rest of this card since we got so much to touch on in this card. Was, yeah. It's like some, some stuff happened, but... And, and we have to note, neither of us have watched the full card. We were pretty busy over the weekend. Uh, so the fights that we talk about is heavily influenced by which ones we have actually seen. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Um... You know, I couldn't have an entire episode that just made me look smart. I guess I got to uh, mention that Andre Feely got knocked out by Anderson Brito in like 40 seconds. That was whack. Yeah, it appears Feely is finally getting old to a degree. And also, you know, if, if you're going to be a guy that kind of starts slow and you're kind of spindly and his chin's really good, but it's never been like uncrackable. He's, he's like pretty hittable. So eventually you're just going to get busted up in 40 seconds if you just go on numbers like statistically if you fight as many times as he fights you're just going to get dusted by one of the matchups uh, that you don't directly hard counter yeah I just didn't think you Anderson Brito was going to be the guy but Brito's young so he, he seemed to make strides between his last fight and this one I mean it wasn't a lot to go on but yeah uh, true knocking out Andre Feely in 40 seconds is definitely a lot better than getting tooled up by uh, Bill Algio, or as I like to call him, we have Corey Sandhagen at home. I'm never going to say Bill Algio's name without doing that joke now. It's a staple. I respect that. Um, Grant Dawson's completely fineness prevailed against Jared Gordon's. Darren Elkin out. Darren Elkins, Tristan Connolly. Yeah, and admittedly, I have not watched that fight, but once I do watch it. Uh, I'll say it on Discord, but I think about a fight. And Christoph Yotko won the decision against Gerald Mayshaw. Christian, you motherfucker, why would you even put that into the universe? I mean, neither of us have watched this fight. Why are you saying that? We, we, like, we the, the, the audience doesn't know this. Yeah, but I, I, I don't want to lie, you know? I don't want to pretend I was I fine with it. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's just... Like, Jotko is, is going to decision Gerald Mearshart. I guess. That was just always going to happen. If you put a neutralizer versus a finisher, then the finisher that doesn't recognize he's fighting a neutralizer is going to lose. And Mearshart has never recognized if someone is difficult to finish or not. He just goes for it regardless. I mean, you got to respect it. Like, oh, uh, I definitely do. Much like the next fight we're going to talk about, so fuck this card, because we barely watched it, and I was uh, I, I was I was trying to conceal that. 
but, but, <laughs> but, 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 but you know, Christian just had to be all, all, all honest and shit. Why would we lie? <laughs> what? Oh, are we going to lose our, our fucking analysis credit because you didn't watch Shawnee Young versus Gina Mazzani? Yeah, we're, we're supposed to be one of the only podcasts that does our job properly. We tried, but life comes up. It does. I should just edit this out, but um, I'm probably not going to. I feel like it's very humanizing. Yeah, we got to get that fucking Patreon money. <laughs> Be honest. Yeah, I mean, well, if you want uh, me to have time to watch Gina Mazzani fights, uh, then, you know, uh, give me money so I don't have to go to work instead. <laughs> anyway, UFC 274. Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje. Take it away, Christian. Uh, Charles versus Justin is... It's a fight that I've been looking forward to, but also kind of tentatively because Charles Oliveira is my favorite fighter. And I can find ways for him to lose that maybe other people haven't even considered. But I'm also ultimately just going to pick Charles Oliveira confidently because I know in my heart he's going to win. He would never fail me. Uh, So Charles Oliveira versus Gaethje is a grappler that has a great striking versus a guy that can only strike. So that's going to be the template for why I'm going to pick Charles Oliveira by uh, knocking out his opponent. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, the, <laughs> the massive elephant in the room of, in this matchup is just um, Justin Gaethje's bad at jiu-jitsu. Yeah, and he's very difficult to get to the ground, but Charles Oliveira is equally really good at getting people to the ground, and we've seen Gaethje gotten to the ground before. Uh, not not just in the matchup he lost against uh against Khabib, but in other matchups like Chandler took him down for half a second and definitely created situations where a scramble would have happened if were he fighting Charles. Uh, Charles has a lot of safe spots in this fight, whereas Gaethje has basically none. So that kind of favors Gaethje because I think Gaethje does really well when he doesn't have a safe space to go to. But he also, normally he's able to punch and clutch with people a lot more freely. Uh, he's normally able to just not grapple with someone. Like in the Dustin fight, he, he had no reason to grapple with uh, Dustin and against Eddie. Eddie didn't really push any grappling. He's not the type of fighter that's going to push it if you're not really allowing it. So it, I can just see a lot of ways that Gaethje is going to have so much difficulty navigating the matchup. And it really just relies on him busting Charles with one good shot. Which hasn't happened in a long time. It's in like since like the Cub Swanson fight, someone actually cracked him, and then even then, there's arguments that that had to do with other things. Gaethje's not a massive body hitter, or he does hit hard when he does hit to the body, but he just doesn't do it much. Like from a shot selection standpoint, it seems like Charles is pretty well equipped to deal with everything Gaethje wants to do. Like you know. Left hooks. Charles keeps his hands up pretty well a lot of the time, and the way that Gaethje throws it is very swatting. So he's not going to like punch around your guard really sneakily, which is the type of thing that would like complicate Charles' defense. Uh, Charles is probably going to be able to win the jabbing battle anytime they low kick. Uh, Charles has a, a style that doesn't really facilitate defending low kicks very well, but he has a lot of counters to it. Like if you throw a low kick, he might just shoot in on you really quick and grab a body lock, like he did against Jim Miller. If you whiff a uh, low kick, then it's really dangerous because you are exposing your back to him. Or ex even if you expose your back like 5% to Charles, he can snatch your back really quickly. Uh, there, there's a lot of things about directionality that kind of don't go well for Gaethje. Like if he goes forward, Charles is a great reaction double and is also just pretty competent on the back foot. I think the Dustin fight showed because anytime he had to go on the back foot, he handled himself pretty well. And was mostly getting hurt on the front foot or at uh, middle distance. And, and Gaethje is... I'm going to predict that Gaethje's going to be running backwards most of the fight because that's how he fought Khabib and that's the last really good grappler he fought and kind of the only really good grappler he's fought in the UFC. Or not necessarily a really good grappler, but someone that's a grappler and will press their grappling advantage if it's, if it's present. So I think it's just going to be Charles walking Gaethje down to the cage uh, Often not to the cage. I think Gage is going to try and stand and fire a lot. I think he's going to get good damage off, probably drop Charles at least once, as is tradition for Charles' titled reign. Uh, 
But I, I think ultimately it's going to be Charles wearing him down and then finishing him with a knee in the clinch or something along those lines. Uh, I could also see just a, a tight uppercut. Charles has really good pairing with his uppercut, his straight, and his left hook. So what do you think about the fight? Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to be that confident about picking matchups at the top end of lightweight because like, pretty much everyone has some kind of chance to uh, instantly wipe out anyone else with just uh, singular moments of dynamic offense. Like you, can't, you can never count Justin Gaethje out in a fight. He's obviously, he's obviously a huge puncher and you know, very aggressively presses his advantages. But it's just like you say, where... What is Justin Gaethje's safe zone in this fight? Like, it, it really seems like, like in clinch exchanges, Charles is going to be kneeing his body the fuck up. You know, uh, a range Charles can compete with the kicks. Uh, it feels like Charles is just going to be the get the one who gets to pressure more freely, because as as you say, just the, the grappling threat and the fact that he has a a great reactive double when he needs to stand his ground which yeah Justin Gaethje's a great defensive wrestler but you don't even you just don't even really want to be in a scramble with Charles Oliveira if you can if you can win the initial scramble against Michael Chandler he's not the kind of guy who's gonna just like hit a fucking Oma platter or some or, or leg entanglement and it's just like oh no now I'm doing jujitsu with this guy yeah, the clap, the calf slicer to back take is probably going to come up at some point during this fight, which is not the case for most fighters that you go against. No. And no one that I've seen Gaethje go against. You know, Charles Oliveira, he's, he's not unhittable. <laughs> like you say, it, it, it has been the, the staple of his championship reign so far that he just gets dropped pretty fucking hard in every fight, but he's really hard to finish in those positions because he is so squirrely off his back and it just always gives him time to recover because he's just he's really hard to hit when he's in his guard and you have to worry about all kinds of crazy submissions and you know with Charles Oliveira he's not a guy who's going to who's just going to sit to guard and just like throw up the same triangle 50 times in a row you know everything in his jiu-jitsu game flows together with you know if you scramble out of one move, then it just funnels you into the next one, and then he can sweep you and get on top. So yeah, I don't know. Like Gechi just has to knock him the fuck out in the pocket, and then hope that you know, hope that he's just not able to recover from it. But yeah, even then, yeah. what if? Even then, what if Charles just sits to guard? and just, like, kicks the legs off his back while he gets his shit together. And even then, Justin Gaethje overthrows his hooks, like, a lot. And Charles Oliveira, as we saw in his fight with Michael Chandler, has a really nice, tight, mechanically clean left hook. So he almost also might just knock Justin Gaethje out. Yeah, even in the ranges that Gaethje has an advantage, maybe even a pronounced advantage, he's still not safe from not just getting hurt, but being finished. And Gaethje has never fought anyone other than maybe Dustin Poirier that is as savage of a finisher if he hurts you. Like, Charles has so much depth to the way that he can get the fight to a finish. And if he gets hurt, you know, as you mentioned, he he might just fucking sweep you, then top game you for the rest of the round to get his bearings. Like, he, he's shown so much not just depth in like what's shown, but depth in what seems to be like it's there, but we haven't really seen. Like I think he's shown that he's a lot more willing to just take a round off, uh, kind of how he did in the second round of the Dustin fight, where he didn't really take it off. Like he won the round, but he wasn't really pressing the finish very much. He takes his time a lot more than he used to, which has helped his cardio sustain. And he hasn't really fought a body hitter in, at the top of lightweight, so. Like, I think there's definitely routes to victory for Justin that could maybe even give him a like a really good matchup against Charles, but we haven't seen him consistently do any of those. And the best I'm hoping for out of Gaethje is that he would be able to build off of the success he had in the Khabib fight 
where he was kicking the guy that's trying to grapple him in the leg really hard anytime the grappler got too aggressive with the hands. Uh, he would be able to actually just counter Charles off off the back foot, which seems like it's it's a good route for him because Charles is very difficult to hit on the front foot or in not difficult bit in comparison to on the back foot. Like when Charles is going backwards, his defense is much worse. Uh, he's kind of just insulated by his range in a lot of fights. But on the front foot, he actually has defensive tricks to mitigate offense. Yeah, I, I do think this is a very man who go forward win matchup. And um, I just think it's going to be a lot harder for Justin Gaethje to go forward. Now, I do think he's probably the one out of the two who can sustain being on the back foot more. You know, maybe if he can just <clears throat> run the kind of distance-based counter-punching that he used to beat Tony Ferguson, like that, that, that could be good for him. But you don't, you don't really want to give Charles Oliveira the initiative on the front foot. So um, I am picking Charles Oliveira by second round submission. Yeah, I'm gonna pick Charles by first round KO and undercut everything I've previously said by saying Charles is gonna spark him in like the first three exchanges. Okay, so uh, Rose Namuna is fighting Carlos Barza. Yeah, weird. Because, like, um, is there any reason to pick Carla Esparza other than she's already won this fight? No. But that being said, I'm picking Carla. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of a pretty good reason. I mean, you, you know, you look, at, you look back at that fight and Rose is almost unrecognizable as a fighter. She, she's just so... She, just a spindly, unstructured mess, just throwing a bunch of weird jumping kicks. And, um, you know, that fight fits something of a pattern that we've seen for Rose Namajunas' losses, that if you, if you, can, you can just get in her face and make the fight uncomfortable and rough her up, she can capitulate. But she's shown increased ways to be able to stay in the fight in her rematches with both Yuani and Jacek and uh, Weili Zhang, that's still kind of her thing. She's still a bit of a Darren Elkins. She she can just bring a hard and comfortable fight to people. But um, I, just all of the obvious reasons that Rose has just improved so much her mechanics and process as a striker, um, just general depth as, a gra- as an MMA grappler rather than just being like just, just, a, just a weird sprint submission jiu-jitsu fighter and uh, the fact that at this point I actually do just uh, trust her over five rounds a lot more consistently than Carla Esparza Carla Esparza has been having a bit of a Glayson T-Bow effect where she can win like a round and a half off anyone Uh, that being said it would be really funny if she won yeah I I think uh, the fact that Esparza hasn't been finished since the Ioana fight which was her fight right after the the first Rose fight that that does mean something like I don't think it's going to be just Rose sparking her just because it it hasn't happened but it also very yeah, much like, could be if there's someone in this division who's just going to knock you the fuck out in the first round with like one really good read that they capitalize on really quickly it's going to be Rose Namajunas exactly and uh and like Rose isn't like if she gasses, she, uh, Carla's also going to gas, and Carla doesn't hit the body. And hitting the body a lot has been a key factor in all of Rose's losses, or, or doing some sort of like hard attrition that that you feel pretty immediately. Like if you're getting hit in the body real good and you don't have like a ton of body durability, you're going to notice it in the first like three or four hits. So Carolina, like destroyed the body in like. Th- three knees or something, and then the, the dynamic of the fight shifted so substantially. That also kind of happened for Esparza versus Rose 1, where Esparza just landed some knees to the body in the second round, and then Rose lost all of her stamina. I'm not even sure how much of it is like mental capitulation, and how much is just literal cardio. Because she'll, she'll get tired if you start hitting her in the body, or if you kick her legs a few good times. Like, Andrade was getting some body work in and low kicks, and really it just seemed like, by the point that Rose and Andrade fought the second time. Rose is just a five-round fighter now. So she's going to be able to handle the issues that would have given her a lot of problems in her earlier fights. 
So that's how I discount why she didn't get finished in that one. That like kind of maintain the theory that if you just hit her body or do some sort of hard attrition, you're gonna be able to break her over five or or at least tank her cardio enough to where you can get other openings. And Whaley Zhang didn't do that at all. And Joanna, despite looking really good in the second fight, it was like a, a fantastic fight. She didn't seem at her smartest shot selection wise, and she didn't really press the clinch in any regard, which was a big mistake. So I, I don't really have any conclusions to draw from that information in this matchup because Carlos Barz is not the type of person that's really going to push on any of those issues. But for anyone that's thinking that Rosa Muniz is like this unstoppable fighter now and, and didn't even think Whaley had a chance to win that the fight, then you're wrong. Like like Rose can be beaten if if you give her like Marina Rodriguez with a great game plan, something like that. Not even great game plan, just, you know, the the fight going a certain way for, like early and then not changing momentum. Yeah, so I, I mean, I got Rose by first round knockout. Yeah, I'm going to say Rose second round knockout. I thought like you were going to pick Carlos Barza. One of us has to pick Carlos Barza. Okay, fine. Uh, Carlos Barza by fourth round TKO with elbows. Twist my arm, why don't you? Okay, um, and now we have some incredibly sad fights. Um, Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson. I, I mean, this is mean. I mean, I, I guess they're both coming off of just a couple of rough losses to very good fighters. The two guys, Gaethje and Charles. Yeah, yeah. I don't even think of it like that. But then, you know, Tony Ferguson, you also throw in that Benil Dariush fight where he just looked absolutely miserable. He's just been getting less and less done in all of these losses. At least against Gaethje, he had... You know, he had a good second round. He had some moments in that fight. Just his body just can't keep up with being Tony Ferguson anymore. And Michael Chandler, still fast as fuck, still hits really hard and still just like knows what he needs to do to win fights. Um, so he's probably just going to do like exactly what he did to Dan Hooker. He's going to be sad. He's going to knock out Tony Ferguson and then he's going to be like, yeah, nobody's ever done that to Tony Ferguson. He's next title shot, bitch. Yeah, I think Chandler has all the tools in the world to be able to make this a really easy fight. But when has Michael Chandler done that other than the Dan Hooker fight? Like, he, he just doesn't take easy fights. <laughs> or, he, or he doesn't allow fights to be easy even if he has a, a thing that could make the fight slightly easier like against Gaethje if he just pressed the takedowns much more it would have made the fight easier he, he might have lost by finish by getting tired from it but that would he be invested easier invested in the body work early yeah yeah like there, there was definitely f- things he had that that could have made the matchups easier or like against Charles if he just didn't dive at him on the ground and try and finish him he probably would have been better to just like let Charles stand up and then drop him again uh but he he's going to do like the the bullheaded approach and just try and fucking kill you if he hurts you so if he hurts Tony I don't know Tony hasn't uh, once again Tony hasn't really been fully finished in, in his run like he got jabbed after four rounds of some of the most brutal attrition that I've ever seen in MMA like that that's the closest to getting finished he was and, and it was really brutal but it was it was a sustained beating it wasn't him getting just like sparked so we just gotta I have to see that to be believe it to happen and the fight being three rounds makes me just a lot more confident that Chandler's just gonna win even if it goes to decision and he can't finish him but if this was five rounds, I think Tony could, I don't know, maybe pull out like an elbow in the fourth round if Chandler gets real tired, which Chandler is known to do. Chandler looked dead tired by the end of the first round against Charles, and then he looked like he was about to pass out from exhaustion and not just the brain beating that he took against Gaethje. So Chandler, if anyone's has reason to fall off a cliff real quick, it's Michael Chandler. But we haven't seen his chin, like fully go aside from getting dropped by Charles or, or finished by Charles. But that's the best finisher in the sport. So I think it's a deceptively weird matchup that is less black and white as Chandler is less shot. And, and Ferguson is just so shy he's going to lose everything. 
I think we're we're due to see Tony Ferguson barely scrape by and get a win just because he he's still at his core is Tony. He he still just has some wily veteran tricks. It seemed like he was at least able to make the fight with Charles Oliveira annoying and force Charles Oliveira to fight against type a little bit in order to get that win. Yeah, and like he cut Charles, he dropped Gaethje. Benny is just the most consistent of those guys like in regards to how he's going to fight. Benny is always going to fight the same, whereas Charles can perform really well or he can perform pretty well. And then Gaethje can, fought completely against type when he fought uh, Tony. Yeah, also Benil Dariush has a fantastic uh, top game for neutralizing jiu-jitsu players in a way that probably would have been a nightmare if, if they'd have fought in like 2015. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's just back then Tony Ferguson probably just would have like knocked him out with an up elbow at some point or something weird. And I just, I don't know that uh, Michael Chandler's really that kind of grappler. Yeah, like I, I can see ways this fight is going to be incredibly challenging for Chandler if he doesn't fight smart and he doesn't fight smart. Okay, but 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 what if he just does his normal thing of just like walk walk the guy down, doing uh, right straight to the body and shift into big left hook as they run away from him? Uh, I think it would work, and he would definitely get a knockdown with it at some point. But you got to factor in that Tony is much harder to catch on the back foot when he's looking good than uh, Dan Hooker is, because Tony Ferguson used to actually have a game on the back foot. Where he he would be able to like jab, like take shots on his shoulders, counter with elbows, uh, and Charles even had kind of an annoying time on the feet with him. Like the the fight looked really messy on the feet anytime they were there, and against Gaethje, it was just the fact that Gaethje was so disciplined and and also kind of made Tony bring his reach to him because you know Tony's good at using his range and. Chandler's good at crowding range, but he's not so good that I think if Tony comes in looking even a little bit like Tony, he could give Chandler a really annoying, difficult fight. Well, I'd love to see it, uh, but I, we, yeah. I am picking Michael Chandler by first round knockout. Yeah, if I'm wrong, everyone can call me a dumb uh, idiot and shit like that, but I'm, I'm just going to go with like the heart pick that we're going to get... Uh, Tony by like third round elbow. Fuck it. No one's stopping me. And there's no consequences to me being wrong. So I'm going to give Tony the good vibes because he's a good fighter. Well, uh, I'm glad somebody is. Um, Shogun versus OSP 2? Yeah, I have zero things to say about this fight from like a tactical standpoint. Uh, I just think it's really fun. But in, in, a, in a gross way. Because now they're both shot. Whereas when they fought before, um, Shogun was uh, only Shogun was shot because Shogun's been shot for like ten years. Uh, but now OSP is also shot, and Shogun is like not much more shot, but is like way more used to being shot. Whereas uh, OSP's game like doesn't function at all anymore. Because, uh, I mean, he, he never really had a game beyond just a bunch of weird dynamic shit that worked because uh, he, he's, like, huge and strong and, like, surprisingly tough and has good recovery. Um, he doesn't really seem to have those things anymore. So, uh, I, I don't know. I don't have a read on this fight. It's just, it's just funny. Yeah, I'm picking OSP to miss weight by seven pounds. I'm picking OSP to miss weight by seven pounds and then force a Von Flu choke. (laughs) Not going to Von Flu choke Shogun, though. I mean, you're not going to catch him slipping and get him with one, but what if he, like, forces his arm into it because OSP was just fighting a heavyweight? He might just have a crazy strength advantage in the fight. I mean, he might. Wouldn't surprise me that much. That, that, that has always been his main attribute. Um, I don't know. I think this fight's going to be really, really ugly. Uh, it's, it, it's one of those things where like, like maybe both guys have deteriorated to the point that just like neither guy can get a finish. 
because even though like both their chins are shot, like also neither of them have like any dynamism left. So I guess I'm just gonna pick Shogun by decision on being able to navigate being shot. Yeah, I'm gonna do the out of character pick and say OSP has enough dynamism left to just spark him in in like the first two rounds. Also could happen. Yeah, but I am not expecting it. I really don't know what to expect in the fight other than I have a lot of ideas that that are unstructured and I need to see the fight to, yeah. to like know what's happening. Like the more I think about it, the more I think Shogun's maybe actually just going to box OSP the fuck up. Very plausible. I don't know. This is a weird one. We should probably move on before we think about it too much and <laughs> move on to Donald Cerrone versus Joe Lozon. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Joe Lozon has been shot since like 2014. Somewhere around that. Not 2014, like 2016. Whereas uh, D- Donald Cerrone like somewhat recently shot. Um, I don't know if I was willing to say it until, you know, somewhere around the Nico Price and Alex Morono fights. Uh, very unfortunate looks for Donald Cerrone and matchups that just like because Donald Cerrone is a weird one because there's like so many times in his career where he's like had a few hard losses and people have been like oh Cowboy's shot and it's just like no he just always would have lost to Jorge Masvidal uh, he always would have lost to Darren Till um, but yeah that run of getting like Conor McGregor Tony Ferguson Justin Gaethje back-to-back. Seemed like he never really came back from that. Whereas Joe Lozon, as you say, has been shot for way longer, uh, but has also had like a good three, four years off fighting at this point. And uh, in his last fight in the UFC, uh, just kind of decked a tall guy in the first minute. So, I don't know. This is... When did this episode just evolve into shotness analysis? <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, like, we're partially mentioning how, like, people being shot for comedic comedic effect, but also we can't really exaggerate enough how old centered this this card is. No, it is like, really even, it is a thing. Like, yeah, like it's, there, it's, 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 it's a lot it's of fights that have been around of, for a long time. It's kind of us being silly and. And, you know, being part of the fight site, you know, everybody's shot as soon as they lose one. Uh, but um, it really does just seem to be a theme of this card, right? Yeah, it's just people that are past it, seeing who's more past it. Like, even Chandler Ferguson is a bit of that, because Chandler's definitely regressed. Uh, there's only, like, two matchups in the main card that seem to be two prime fighters uh, going at it, which is, the like, the main and co-main. And even then, it's like a little weird because Carlos Barza has been around for so long that it feels like at some point she's going to fall off a cliff. So, yeah, we bring it up a lot for this card, but it's important to mention. And I think Donald Cerrone, in theory, should be able to just kind of demolish Joe Lozon. But Joe Lozon, he is old enough to where being rusty isn't really a factor to me. I think he's going to come in looking like Joe Lozon. uh, And I'm, I'm... expecting him to land like a hard shot on Cerrone that Cerrone doesn't recover from because Cerrone still is like used to being able to just recover. Whereas Lozon hasn't been able to recover from getting hit since 2016. Yeah. If it was any uh, good form version of Donald Cerrone, I would probably just pick him to knock out Joe Lozon with a head kick at any point in Joe Lozon's career. Uh, I just, I really don't know where either of these guys are at right now. I don't know. After seeing uh, Donald Cerrone just get pushed back and immediately demolished by Alex Morono. I'm just like, oh, that, is, that is just a guy that he just would have beaten his prime. Yeah, and then uh, on a less old note, Randy Brown versus Chaos Williams. Oh, let's go. Um, yeah. Weird one. Uh, Randy Brown, always hard to pick. Because, you know, he can... Uh, he can put on like a really smart outfighting performance and and look like a really clean process driven striker uh, or, or he can uh get knocked the fuck out by a guy uh, going for a leg lock 
Yeah, it's a fight where one guy, no matter how hard he's winning, he can still get knocked out versus a guy that no matter how hard he's losing, he can still knock you out. Oh my God, you're right. There's like no way Randy Brown doesn't get knocked out at some point. Yeah, it feels like it would be just against the laws of that uh, shitty little joke I just made for that to happen. So I'm I'm going to pick Chaos Williams by knockout in the third round after getting 10-8 in the first. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, there's like no other way that fight can go. Um, Francisco Trinaldo's fighting Danny Roberts. Uh, yeah, that is, is pretty neat. Well, uh, is Danny Roberts a southpaw? Hold up. <laughs> I, I feel like it, this is the type of matchup that Danny Roberts can actually win at this point because Trinaldo is is getting older. This isn't even going back to the theme of the card. Trinaldo's just fucking old. He's just always old. That's inherent to his style. He's been old since he was young. Yeah, he's the quintessential old Brazilian. Him and Rafael Assuncao. <laughs> Danny Roberts is a southpaw. That's, that, 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 that's going to be rough for Trinaldo. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Okay, so Danny Roberts by decision. Just, just, just him, him, him being able to work the... Uh, He's just like left overhand and left kick. It's just, it's just always rough when people can get behind their lead shoulder. Uh, da- Danny Roberts' whole thing is countering orthodox fighters who, who, who are overthrowing. So, might just be one of those fights. Macy Chearson versus Norman Dumont. Yeah, uh, I think Norman Dumont is physical enough to just kind of bulldoze Chearson, but Chearson... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I like her game. She just is really inconsistent, it feels, even in her wins. Where she'll she'll have a really good performance where she's looking like she's using her range very well, doing stuff in the clinch that's pretty neat. And then she'll just have another fight where she lets someone that's shorter than her just kind of impose themselves. And Norma Dumont is at almost height parity, like somewhat close, like three inches off or something. But Norma Dumont's also just way faster and stronger. And I think she's now she's got like five round experience, even though it was as bad of experience as you can get because she got like the worst Aspen Lad we've ever seen. I think Norma Dumont is is gonna decision uh, Mace Chiasson cleanly. I I don't expect much of a finish. I, I, I just think there's a reason that Macy Chiasson was down at Bantamweight, even though Featherweight is absolutely ripe for the picking if like you can compete physically as a women's featherweight and she's a fucking huge bantamweight so I don't know I just feel like uh, fighting an actual women's featherweight who also cannot make bantamweight and is just going to be a physical parity with her um, I, mean, I don't know not, not much more she, she, she probably just box up Macy Chearson That this card there. Holy shit, Brandon Royville versus Matt Schnell. That's a cool fight. That's a very good fight. I think Brandon Royville Schnell is like maybe two of the worst at applying their athletic capabilities. Or like for for Royville, it's just that he has the least athletic traits. He he's just has good cardio, but not fantastic cardio, and then an insane chin, but it's not an uncrackable chin. Whereas Schnell just has like a, a pretty crackable chin. And uh, and he'll get tired if he goes at a pace he can't sustain. So it's like two of the most human 125ers in a way. Uh, but I'm picking Royval to just win on dynamism and and like better shot selection. Yeah, um, and this is a weird one where I think I actually have to rely on Brandon Royval to win a striking match because normally his whole thing is that um, his like. A scrambly submission game is his secret weapon, but it's a secret weapon even to him because he what like wants to be like a cool striker dude. But then like normally looked at his best when uh, the fight's a complete mess and he's just like for s- somehow able to stay one step ahead in, in a fight that's a complete mess. Uh, but then he looked like he was trying to be. Uh, he looked like he was trying to make genuine technical developments against Tajerio Bontarine. It was a, le- a lot less just like running in with just crazy shifting combinations. Um, a lot more like actually trying to work behind 
jabs and feints from range, trying to enter a lot more responsibly. And I'm like, is that a good idea against Matt Schnell? Maybe should he just be, like, should he just be the fucking wild man and just run at Matt Schnell with his, with his hands out and just do some wacky stuff? Matt Schnell, he's got some he's got some defensive looks as a boxer and I think kind of the worst idea against him is just to like to actually respect them <laughs> does that make sense yeah yeah like Matt Schnell has a lot of smoke and mirrors for his defense uh, like he'll, he'll just like turn his head side to side over and over like he's posing and he'll be like yeah I'm rolling with shots proactively but if you just sit down on a punch, you just, you're going to crack him because Schnell, he has like a layer of defense, which is just pulling his head out of the way. But if you can throw like more than one shot or you aren't super telegraphed on your first shot, then he's hittable. And, and Matt Schnell also doesn't have like really any power. Uh, he has decent mechanics on a lot of things. Like he, he's more of a technician than anything, but he, he has enough liabilities to where I think if Roy Vol comes out trying to fight intelligently then he can win and if he comes out fighting like an idiot he can win whereas Schnell kind of just has to rely on Royval getting like a little unlucky in the exchanges and just not getting the things that would work for him a lot of the time yeah so one thing to note is that I don't know if Brandon Royval's like grappling is really is really going to be like much of a factor for him winning this matchup just because Schnell is actually like really solid lockdown positional grappler and you know we might end up getting something like the uh, uh, Brandon Royal's fight with Alexandre Pantoja where he like tries some fuck shit and uh, Pantoja's just like nah dude I'll just, I'll just take back um, uh, a big factor in that fight and a big factor in not even just Brandon Royal's losses but just fights that go that go bad for him before he has to win in a weird way is just like people who can find singular openings uh, and and like really crack him on the chin. Like you say, he's got a good chin and he's got good recovery, but it, but it's not unbreakable and he is just not very quick for a flyweight. So it it is often like fast big punches that that, that are able to give him trouble. You know. It, 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 it was even problems a problem against you know Jerry Bonterine and Kai Kara Fran. Um But yeah, Matt Schnell, not really that kind of puncher, and I don't know how much he's really going to tr- try and actually press a grappling advantage in this game. So it seems like Royval would have to be a little too capital T technical to let Matt Schnell run, run away with the decision in this fight. Yeah, I think this is going to make Matt Schnell look like a speed athlete, but I still think he's going to lose in spite of that. Because normally Schnell isn't, he's at like speed parity or slower than everyone he fights. And this is actually going to be a fight where he's faster than someone, so that's going to be weird. Uh, anytime there's like a massive speed difference, sometimes you just have to account for maybe this guy is just better when he's a lot faster than his opponent. So maybe we'll get like an insanely good Matt Schnell, but. I, I don't know. I think uh, we're going to get Royval finished in the second round by KO. I'm going to say, like, inverted elbow. A lot of elbow picks today. Yeah, why not? Yeah. I mean, it's too, there's the elbow guys on the card. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really interested in <clears throat> Brandon Royval's development as a striker because I'm kind of much like I was talking about Cheeto Vera earlier. I don't know if, like, the way that he ends up defaulting to in in fights where he realizes, you know, in the fight that he has to win in a certain way is not necessarily the way that he wants to fight or that he thinks is like cool. Because I, I don't know, you hear him, you hear him in interviews, and like I heard him talking about his fight with Kaikara France and how he should be approaching that, and he's like, oh, oh yeah, I should uh, try and use my uh, uh, reach advantage to deny exchanges and like close the door on combinations with left high kicks to keep the counter right hand at home. Those, those are all really good ideas. He didn't do none of that shit in that fight. <laughs> he got dropped really early and then the fight was insane and he won with insanity. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how he develops because he was clearly trying to be a lot more defensively responsible against the Jerry Obonterine. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I, I need to see how that plays out in his next few fights. 
I agree. That should be a fun fight. Um, in a fight that's also kind of interesting, but it's not as deep to talk about, uh, Marcos Rogerio de Lima versus Blago Ivanov. It's the guy with the best chin in the division versus the guy that hits really hard. So, you know, I'm going to pick Ivanov by either decision or late finish. Yeah, Ivanov's going to win. Like, he, he took, like, Derek Lewis's power. He's got one of the stupidest chins I've ever seen. Yeah, and then, like, there's some other things on the card that are, like, kind of interesting, but none are interesting to talk about before the fight. It's more just fights I'm excited to see. Like, Fialho is fighting for, like, the 50th time this year. Uh, Trace Cortez, Melissa Gato should be decent. Uh, Lupita Godinez. I'm just going to skip the Clayton Rodriguez, CJ Vergara fight because I don't remember who either of those guys are. And then Lupita versus Ariane Carnalosi. That's a pretty decent fight. Yeah, it should be a good card. Yeah, the card has like a lot of potential. Yeah, should be lots of interesting stuff to talk about. And hopefully the sad old man fights aren't too old and sad. So yeah, that's everything we wanted to touch on this week. As always, if you enjoyed this content and the other stuff that the Fight Site puts out, consider supporting them on Patreon. Uh, just a pledge of $3 grants access to a huge library, hundreds of hours of really high-quality analytical fight content. And then a pledge of $5 gains access to a Discord server where we have a great community, lots of different interesting fight fans have a lot of great discussions and regularly host fight night watch parties where we all get together in the voice chat. Christian and myself are both very active in the server. So you come hang out. It's always good fun. This has been the Forbidden Technique podcast. You can catch us next week where we're going to be recapping all of the stuff that goes down at UFC 274 as well as a fight night light heavyweight main event between uh, Ian Blahovich and Alexander Rakic. So that should be interesting. We'll catch you guys later.